So my next guest, I wish I could have interviewed her on a Sunday afternoon, but I will settle for a Sunday evening with none other than Shiro. Yee, How you doing, Shiro? I'm good. How you doing, I'm Tony? Blessed. Hey. Yes. <laughs> I'm blessed to have you here. Um, you know, it's funny because we've seen each other uh, throughout the years at yes. shows, but we rarely ever get a chance to chop, you know, chop it up. <sighs> yeah, that's the business. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But you know what? I finally get an opportunity to interview you and uh, give the fans what they want to hear and learn from you. So. Well, I'm honored to be here. Dope. So now, before we get into uh, you meeting Robert, Bobby of Lighter Shader Brown, and before we get into your video, your music, and where people can purchase it, uh, I want people to get to know you for who Shiro is. For an example, uh, wh where were you raised at? South Central LA. So you're a South Central girl. Yes, I'm Slauson Swap Me girl. St. Andrews Western. I went to Crenshaw High School. Everything. Really? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, and what elementary did you attend? Oh my gosh! You want me to go all the way back there? All, I can't even think. All the way back to the but beginning. But you know what? I I know John Muir was my junior high school. I don't remember what elementary school I went to, guys. You know what I'm saying? I really, really. <laughs> Don't. But um, John Muir was one of the the most popular um, junior high schools. Okay. And then again, I went to Crenshaw, and of course, we were always up against Westchester. Okay. You know, they tried to compete with us, but Crenshaw was always the best dressed. No, no. <laughs> I'm and not trying to hate, but it's real. It's real. <laughs> in, in high school or in junior high, did you play any sports or anything? Yeah, um. Well. No, but I was a drill team captain. Oh. I did a lot of drill team. I was asked to play basketball, but I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. No. I really don't want to do that. No. You, you didn't get into like track or volleyball? I did. Or... I did. I did run track and then I did do volleyball for a quick minute. But other than that, you know, I was really into um, the choir. Oh, okay. The choir. Uh, Crenshaw's choir with Miss Stevenson was the baddest choir ever. We learned so much there. But at the same time, being in the choir, um, a lot of people didn't know this. I was um, also in the music business starting at an early age before even meeting Light Shader Brown and all that stuff. I was in a girls group that was called For Real. Wow. And they have hit records now, but I started there at like the age of 14. Wow. And I was in that group for five years. 
Wow. So, you know, that's where I got a lot of my grooming from. Okay. Now, let's go back a little bit at home, living with your mom and dad. What type of music would your mother or your father play? Like, what type of music were you raised around? Well, you know, to be honest with you, my dad died when I was three years old. I'm sorry. So, I never got a chance to really have that connection with him. Um, my mom, she played music, but mm -hmm. I used to sneak. <laughs> I used to sneak and play music, especially when she wasn't home. Right. So she really didn't know. She really didn't know my interest in music. Um, my family started to learn about that when we would spend every Sundays at my grandmother's house. What I would do is sneak into the bathroom and my grandmother had this electric toothbrush, you know, the thick ones with the, the you know, the right. bar, it looks like a bar. And I would use that for my microphone, okay? And then I would go in and I would spend hours in there pretending like I was interviewing myself and singing in the mirror. And every time someone would want to use the bathroom, they would knock on the door. I would go out. And then as soon as they would come out, I would kind of sneak back in. <laughs> so about how old, how old were you when you started doing that? I believe I was about, um, I would say about 10 or 11. Okay. I was about 10 or 11. I really didn't realize that I could sing until I was about nine, to okay. be honest with you. I was in the church choir um, at my grandmother's church. That's where I was raised, okay. Mama Riot Baptist Church. And um, the choir teacher asked me to sing a solo. And I was like, okay, I'm not even realizing anything. I learned it. And I remember one Sunday I got up to sing. And back in the day, they used to be able to tape you and you would have little tapes. Right. And I sang and my grandmother purchased the tape and I heard myself back, you know, I heard myself singing back on tape. And I was like, well, okay, I got a little something. I got a little something there. Okay, okay. And it kind of allowed the family to also see that, you know, okay, there's something else there. Right. And then that's when I really realized, okay. Yeah. Now, now, let me ask you a question. It may sound like a weird question, but when you heard your voice for the first time on cassette, did you think like, who's that? Reason why I asked that is because when I first started doing mixtapes for this guy, Steve, and he was selling at the Swamp Meet, mm -hmm. we didn't have anybody rapping on him yet. So I would talk and I would say, yo, what's up? It's Tony A on the wheels of steel, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when he would play it back, <laughs> he was like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, hell no, I sound goofy, bro. Take that off. <laughs> So that's why I asked that you ever feel that about yourself. When I first heard myself, I was more shocked about um, how the response was because they were making noise. I mean, it was church. So I was like, okay, um, they said, hey, man, I, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I got to be honest with you, as I was a teenager and I started to go into the studio with the group that I was working with, I hated to hear my voice back. Mm. I hated to hear every time I would record a song, I literally would walk out of the studio because I didn't want to hear it back. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because I was so shy or wasn't used to hearing my voice play back. I don't know. But I was just like, ah, I just really don't. I don't want to hear it. I would wow. always walk out. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so so now after high school, you got out of high school, but you said, well, let me back up at the age of 14. You got with this group. Yes. H uh, how did that happen? You know, who did you know that introduced you to them possibly? Or how did you know these people for you to, to join this group? Well, my um, teen best friend, her name is Reen. Uh, we went to high school together and she sang. And her father was um, an artist himself. Okay. And he would always play piano. So when I would go after school with her, 
um, in the living room, he would always be on the piano. So we would sing along with um, whatever song he would play. There was this guy named David Martin there. Okay. Didn't know him from any anyone. And he was there and he was friends of their family. And he had said that he was putting together this group and he offered her a position in the group, but then he heard me sing and then offered me a position in this group. Hmm. Now, just to tie you guys all in to let you know, life goes full circle because the reason why I say that is because Reen, who was my best friend at that time, is now the hot producers that are 1500 or nothing. Fit Rance is one of the top hit makers along with his group, which is the, again, you guys know 1500 right. or nothing. They have mega, mega hits with Chris Brown and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And that, but at that time, he was a baby. Yes. So going full circle with that, he said, would you be interested in being in this girl group? I said, okay, I'll try it out. <laughs> and that's what happened. He put us all together in this girl group and it was phenomenal. I, we've traveled overseas. We've done a USO tour. We've done so much stuff when I was wow. at that young age. So you were about 14 when you started with this group? Yes. And, yes. and uh, how old were the other members? Do you remember? The other members were, I was like, um, Shireen was the baby because she was like a couple of months younger than me, but all the other ones were a couple of years older than. Okay. But we were around around the same age, pretty okay. much. And uh, soon after he put you guys together, did you guys record at a studio? We uh, did. We recorded songs. Um, like I said, we toured. Um, we got a. We were actually called the female new edition. Really? Because that's what we would do. We would do steps and have our solo songs and all of that kind of stuff. If, if any of these uh, possible songs or maybe even the videos of you guys still available today for, for people to see? No, we have. Well, I have videos, of course, archived. You may be able to find something, but okay. right now, for real, that group is still out. They're popular. Uh -huh. They did go forth and do some other hits. Okay. Um, everything I know happens for a reason because I ended up leaving the group. Uh -huh. And that segued way me into working with the lighter shade of brown. Okay. Yeah. Now, now when you say overseas, like how, how long did you guys travel for? Were, like, were you guys gone every week? Were you, were you guys gone for about a month? We, we traveled overseas for about six months. We were gone for a while, but we always did shows around town. So that's where a lot of our grooming came from because we were always getting hired for shows. I mean, wow. we, were, we, were, we were a young female group. At that time, no female group was really out at that time. Yes. It was just new addition. So for us to be an all-girl group like we were, and we were basically the female new addition, they were like, whoa, this is really, really different. Yes. We really are interested in this. So. See, that's dope. And I wanted people to see that other side of you because there are people that possibly may just think, okay, lighter shade of brown, mm -hmm. but you had a, a history before that. Yes, absolutely. You know? I've worked with so many different people before um, working with the lighter shade of brown. Carrie Gordy is Barry Gordy's son. And wow. if you guys don't know, he's actually, he created... Um, uh, Motown mm -hmm. and uh, well, Barry Gordy created Motown. Carrie Gordy is his son, and I worked with Carrie Gordy. And in working with him, I also used to do voiceovers as well for Cadbury Candy, Minute Maid Orange Soda, Minute Maid Orange Juice, and all of that stuff. So my voice was already out there before hitting with a lighter shade of brown. Now, so would you say that all of this started at church? 
for yes, you? Okay. Absolutely. Now I want to touch on something because uh, I've had a friend that uh, sang in church, not necessarily outside of church, but just in church, and they would always invite me. Hey, man, we're gonna we're gonna have this uh, up an event at church, and I'm gonna sing tonight. And what I liked about it, because I know instruments, uh, they would have a B3 Hammond organ with a Leslie speaker, <laughs> you know, just drums, a, a piano and everything. Yeah. And there wasn't no auto tone. You no. know what I'm saying? No. You, you just went up there and no. you sang. Oh, yeah. You know, today, let me give you an example why I bring this up. Uh, about a year ago, I was in New York and uh, I went to go visit one of my friends. And one guy walks in, he was talking about he had just got this female uh, signed to a major label. Okay. I won't mention her name, but uh, my friend asked him, how is she? she dope? And he goes, this is what he said. Okay. She's got ass. <laughs> That's what he said. And he goes, well, can she sing? Well, ain't nothing autotone can't fix. Oh, wow. And... I guess I wanted to share that because that's how far we've come. Yeah. That. Yeah. But back then, people were, were did it because number one, they loved it. Yeah. They were a part of something. They were part of the church. Yeah. And if you can sing, you go up there and you sing. You yeah. Know? Today, it's it's just totally, totally different. Yeah. It's is it is totally different. You had to know how to sing in yes. in our day and age. You had to know how to sing. You had to have some type of something that made you stand out from some, yeah. from other people. You had to. Yeah. And all of the musicianship and stuff was on back then. A lot of times now it started kind of um, progressing into, you know, a lot of the machine stuff, like you said, auto tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. Nowadays, you don't really have to know how to sing as long as you have the swag and you know how to sing melodies and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's easy for somebody to go in and make a record and blow up and really not have to put in a whole lot of work like we used to. And, and that's my point. That's why I asked how long were you guys out there for? Because today's artists, well, if, you, if I even want to call them artists, um, they'll uh, make a social media page, uh, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, they'll light up a joint and uh, whatever, and they'll do a beat on their laptop and, and load it up on YouTube, and they could possibly go viral. Yeah, yeah. You know? And back then, uh, you know, we, we had a... Uh, belong to a major label if we really wanted to be get out there mm -hmm. we had to have uh you know either bus stops come on yep. magazines uh billboards yeah and we had to do promotional tours where mm -hmm. we didn't get paid yeah you know, just to push it yeah college radio stations radio but today i mean uh, i'm glad for technology but i just would hope that this younger generation really appreciates the, the people that have laid down the foundation for them to eat yeah for me them too. to you know, to them to appreciate people like yeah. yourself that really started from the bottom. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because we have to pay. We had to pay our dues. There was no easy way in. We literally right. had to know exactly what we were doing and to be able to sing live and to be able to, you know, if the microphone wasn't working, to be able to sing loud enough so the <laughs> audience could hear you without all of that. The show had to go on. Right. Like it had to be cutthroat for us because back then there were so many people that had so much talent. It was no easy way in. You had to stand out in right. order to make noise in this business yeah. you literally had to uh, i've seen many documentaries where art well-known artists have said i started that church you yeah know, i started that church and then many of them just really just went astray and sold out to this industry that we know yeah. you know, of hollywood you know but and then there are people that stay true 
you know. Uh, now, you come back from overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, around this time, uh, uh, how old are you when you decide to pretty much say, you know, I'm going to part ways with this group? I was 17. I would say I was about 17 and a half. I was just getting ready to turn. No, not 17 and a half. I was just getting ready to turn 18. Okay. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I mean, I, you know, when you're in a group, you're growing with these people. These people are your family. You're around them all the time. We did a lot of shows together. So it wasn't just me coming in at that age and just being groomed by just ear and rehearsals. It was like, we did a lot of shows together. We were family. We spent holidays together. Mm -hmm. So with me leaving the group, it wasn't as easy. Um, I knew I had to do it, but at the same time, you still feel that breakup of like a relationship, you right, know, because right. you're like, gosh, this is what I know. I've been a kid in this group. What am I going to do? I remember, and this is such a testimony for me, which a lot of people don't know. I remember laying in my room and um, on my bed and I was so depressed because I didn't know what I was going to do next. I had no idea. And my family, one of my family members uh, came in and he says to me, he says, so what are you doing next? What are you, what are you doing? What are you doing here today? And I said, nothing, just laying down. He was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm kind of sad. I just got out of the singing group. I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, well, your cousin Jim and James is in the studio. You want to go by the studio? You know, get up. Come on, let's go to the studio. And I go, all right. So I get off the bed. We go down to the studio I don't know who we're about to see. I'm just thinking, oh, my cousin Jam and James in the studio. I don't know what he's doing. I get in the studio. I see Bobby. I see Robert. At this time, I don't know them. Right. I don't know them from anyone, you know? And I'm sitting there, and I'm just listening to the music, and my cousin's in the booth, and he says to me, he says, come here. And I go, what's up? He goes, well, are we getting ready to do this song? And I was like, what song? He goes, Latin Active. And I go, okay. He was like, you want to sing on it? I was like, okay, I guess. It was like, we changed some words, learn it real quick, and let's lay it down. And I was like, all right. Met Robert and Bobby and them. We were just in the studio. I went in a booth, and that's when I recorded a, a Latin Active. That was the first song I ever recorded with Elijah Shader Brown. Wow. Okay. We're going to be touching on that when we come back from break, but we're not going to go to break yet. Uh, uh, cause I want to touch on that a little bit more when it comes to Light of Shader Brown, but I wanted to ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever been asked this. You singing and touring and belonging to a church, coming and singing out of a church. Did the church at all ever talk to you, give you any hassle for going out and singing? No, because I can honestly say, though I grew up in church, mm -hmm. um, my grandmother was a strong member there. But not only that, she was a big supporter. She was the, my biggest supporter. And with me being in the group, the all-girl group, it wasn't a gospel group. Okay. We sung top 40s and R&B and all of that kind of stuff. So starting at a young age and being able to sing the R&B and, and tour with them and all that kind of stuff. I never got the backflash like that. I never really did. Okay. I, they were very supportive. My family was very supportive. Um, and if they did say something to my family, it's something that I didn't know about. Right, right. But other than that, no, they didn't okay. give me any hassle at all. reason why I asked that is because I knew a good friend of mine. Cause when I would visit these events uh -huh. uh, with my, my buddies that were in church, and, and many of them were uh, 
Greater Bethany, mm-hmm. what it used to be uh, Bishop McMurray. I don't know if you're familiar with him back no. in the days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was off of Manchester and Hoover. He used to play drums there. Oh, and he okay, was an okay. amazing drummer, an amazing drummer. Nice. So one day, I gave him an idea and I said, hey man, you know what? Uh, I think it was Guitar Center that were having a, um, and he said he needed a new set of drums. Mm-hmm. And I, I go, well, I could get you entered into this contest, bro. Wow. And I think you can win. Like I really, really saw that he was an amazing talent. Okay. So this was at the Whiskey A Go Go in, mm. in Hollywood. Okay. He entered it and he won. Okay. <laughs> now he got the brand new set, but his church members told him to stop hanging around me. I was a bad influence. <laughs> You're the bad influence, yeah. right? So Out of all the people in the world. Right. So that's gotcha. why I thought, you know, maybe they might have said something to you because you started singing in front of a crowd, in front of an audience or whatever. No. But yeah. So uh, now l- let me back up just a little a little bit because uh, growing up, and I know you used to sing in the restroom, yes. which I think that's dope because, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny as a kid too, I used to go in there and pretend I was commentating or I'm talking you know you're just <laughs> yeah. a kid you know yeah what, what type of music did you listen to growing up like what were some of the artists that you could say man I used to bump so and so and so and so and so and so whether it be R&B whether it was gospel mm-hmm. whether it was whatever I used to have a dream to always um want to do a song with Stevie Wonder okay. I would listen to Stevie Wonder but I would study Whitney Houston I would study Whitney Houston and then I would study Gladys Knight, Shaka Khan. Even in our group growing up as a teenager, they would give me the heavy Shaka Khan songs to sing because I was very soulful and I had a big voice at that age. And um, it was unusual for a little girl to have a big voice at that age. So I would study all the soulful artists. And then I would also listen to some pop artists as well. So it just, I listened to a variety of artists, but I can honestly say that the one I really would listen to is Whitney Houston. Really? Whitney Houston. (laughs) Yes, Hmm. yes. Let me share with you a quick story, okay? Uh, And it had to do with Shaka Khan. there's a guy, he, he was raised here in the east side of Wilmington. His name's Michael Chambers. He's one year older than me. Uh, his street popping name was Boogaloo Shrimp, but the world will go on to know him as Turbo from Breaking. I know him. Him. Okay? <laughs> I spent an, an entire summer with him teaching me how to pop. Before I ever wow. DJed, I was like a pop locker. Well, you whatever. know I used to pop lock. Really? Yes. Wow. I will break it down on you real tough. Ooh, you know what I'm <laughs> That's dope. Did you guys catch that? That was dope. Real, real dope. <laughs> so what happened was he was teaching me how to pop and um, he went on to, to start doing videos before he started doing movies. But we were so close, at least for that one summer, that when I saw him go on that Shaka Khan I Feel For You video. Yes. Because I knew him uh, I felt like I was there being mm-hmm. a part of it, you know, but, and that was a, to me, that was a b- big accomplishment, not only for him, but I also felt for me because I knew him very well, Yeah, you know, and later on, I find out that my favorite artist in the whole world is Prince. Okay. okay. And I found out that Prince actually wrote that song. I feel for you. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. A lot of people don't know that. No, they don't. But they that's don't. how talented that man was. Yeah. Very know? gifted. Very talented. You know, the one thing that I do find, a lot of people don't really realize, there are people that you see that are in the industry that are now becoming artists, but literally they were behind the scenes yes. as writers, producing major 
major, major hits. Like for instance, um, my husband G, he writes hit songs. He's wrote hit songs. Um, K. Michelle, right? I'm sorry, I always get this messed up. <laughs> okay. okay, take your time. <laughs> I always get this messed up. Um, what's her name? Keisha Cole. Keisha Cole. He's written some hits for people, and he's just behind the scenes. He doesn't care to be in front of the camera or anything like that. But there are a lot of artists like Nico. Okay. Neo. Neo. Neo, yeah. who was behind the scenes, who wrote a lot of hits for a lot of artists. To the left, he wrote that for Beyonce. Hmm. He is a keen writer. But, you know, that goes to show you that a lot of times while you're thinking that this person is just being an artist of themselves, they do have other things that are going on and they hear other music for other artists that will make them just as popular as they are. Yes. Because it's just in their spirit to do mm -hmm. that. Writing and them being gifted to do that is just in them to do it. And mm -hmm. it's a blessing that they release it to give it to the artist. Because some people can write dope hits, but they don't release them. Right, right. They don't give them to the artist. They just keep them and they store them. And, you know, trust me, I've been, I've been the uh, reciprocate. I've been the one to <laughs> feel that. <laughs> No, you know what? Believe me, I've been in the studio where, for an example, okay, I'm I'm one one that has been blessed to uh, been there when Dre was doing the first NWA, the Easy E album, the the Michelle, the DLC, the Above the Law album. Yeah, okay? that's what, uh, during the '80s, and it was all because this man right here knew them all, Steve Yano, and uh, because I've known him since I've been 11 years old. Wow. Growing up, he would always tell me, what are you doing now? I'm DJing. Come on, let me introduce you to Dr. Dre. Now, I didn't know Dr. Dre from NWA. I knew Dr. Dre from the World Class Wrecking Crew. Oh, so okay. when he would take me there, I'm over here like a star. I didn't even know who Ice Cube or these guys were. Mm -hmm. It was just Dre that I was there for. But I was blessed to have been in there in the studio. And he would play me stuff that later on I find out were not on the record. And so in my mind not only as a fan but i was thinking i wonder why, how come he never released them like yeah you know like yeah. i have a song uh by the doc that mm -hmm. dre produced but the ice cube wrote that uh, uh because when cube left the, the nwa group mm -hmm. they were not allowed to release anything of his anymore so doc did not put it on that album yeah and i have that song you know wow. all thanks to this guy steve so, so I understand how some people can be working and doing songs and then and yeah, gets yeah, it never gets released. And just on that note, with Dr. Dre, I ended up going to the in the studio with Dr. Dre. It was myself and Jewel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember yes, that yes, artist who assigned her. We went in the studio, and he wanted to do a remake of "Sex You Up" from "Color Me Bad." Wow. So he wanted to do a response to that. So he. He called us in the studio. <laughs> beat was so dope. I promise you I hear that beat on other songs that he has already oh, produced. Okay. The beat was so dope. We went in and we recorded it. Nothing ever came of that song. Nothing. Wow. And I was just like. <sighs> did, did you ever get a copy of it yourself? Never. I didn't even have a copy. It wasn't mixed. You know, at that point, we just laid everything down. I didn't get a copy at all. And I was still young. I was still young. I was like, I think I was about maybe at that point, I was maybe about 17. Wow. Yeah, I was really young. So. Wow. And, and is this when he was at still a death row? 
Yes. Okay. Yes, because that's where we recorded it. Okay. Yes. Wow. <laughs> See, and that's good. And I'm glad that the public is actually seeing that you've done so much body of work that uh, um, just never got released and it kind of sucks. You Absolutely. Know, uh, I did a song with uh, I produced for Mellow that had Tina Marie singing on it, mm. but it never came out. Wow. It never came, and I actually still have the two-inch reel here in that room over there, you know. <sighs> and uh, she came in. She, she was uh, amazing. It, it, it literally felt like a concert in there. You know, we kept recording her, we kept recording her, and I'm thinking we're done. Yeah. No, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. All she asked was a, a, a hot cup of green tea, and she just drinking it, was going over because she was warming up her vocal cords. Yeah. And I'm not a singer. I'm used to rappers that are high <laughs> and drunk, you know? But she's, okay, I'm ready now. But it was amazing. Yeah. Was amazing. So if people want to hear that, they can actually go to uh, Mellow Mayonnaise episode one on Rodeo Radio, and we actually played it oh, okay. on the show. So it was like our premiere, if you will. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to press pause right here, and we're going to come back and touch on Robert and Bobby, Lighter Shade of Brown. Yes. And we're going to take a 10-minute break, and we'll be back with Shiro once again. Call a friend, text a friend, page a friend, and let them know that we're live with Shiro on a Sunday evening. Yes. We'll be back. <laughs> Yo, welcome back to a Sunday evening with Shiro. Once again, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right into it. So uh, before the break, you were talking about how your cousin, Jamin James. Yes. Told you we're going to go to the studio. Mm -hmm. And now where was this studio located at this time? I don't even remember. You don't <laughs> No. <laughs> I don't even remember. Okay. I really don't. So you get there, and uh, now it was the song Latin Active. You heard it. Yes. Uh, what were your thoughts about it when you when you first heard it? Well, it's from the Let's Jam, Let's Jam Radioactive. So I was familiar with the song because mm -hmm. I had heard it from growing up on that kind of music as well. But they changed it to, um, you know, Latin Active. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's kind of the same. It's just some choice words that were changed. So, and it was funky. So I didn't have any issue with that at all. You okay. know, none. And and uh, who, who was producing this? J Jam and James. Okay. Jam and James. And, and now, do you know at all how he met them? I don't. And, and mm. that's what's interesting. I never, ever asked how he met them. I just know that um, my cousin had produced for other people before he even attached himself with the lighter shade of brown. So I just knew him as a producer, period. I just never knew how they connected. I believe it was through Cliff Ritchie, which was the manager of a lighter shade of brown when they first came out because he's the one who put Bobby and Robert together. And a lot of people didn't know that. Robert was a solo artist and Bobby was a solo artist, but Cliff Ritchie felt that them together would be a good, good team as you see, which created a lighter shade of brown. See, and I'm glad you, you share that because I don't think most fans know that they each had their own thing going on. They before. did. They wanted to be solo artists. They did not want to be in a group at all. To this day, even if you were to ask Robert, he would even tell you like, I never wanted to be in a group with Bobby. I never wanted that. But, you know, we both were hot at the time. We were trying to, you know, we were doing around the city shows and stuff like that. And Cliff Ritchie thought it would be a good idea. So we went with it. And then they signed to Quality Records. They both wanted a deal. 
Wow, wow. <laughs> okay, so this was your first time meeting them. Yes. Right. Do you remember around how old they were around that time? Uh, no, I mean, we all were young. By the time I made it to them, I was about 18. So would you say they were around so they the were same? About, no, because I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to tell my age. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't mind because I still look good. I'm saying I look good, you yes, know. Yes. But they are younger than me. Um, Like a year Are two younger than so me. Maybe 16, so they were like 16, 17. Wow. Yeah, wow. they were really, really young. Okay. And so uh, at this point, had they had already laid down their vocals? Yes. Yes. Okay. They had already laid down their vocals. And I learned the song really quickly. And I went in and I recorded it. And they loved it. They loved it. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, when you came in, did they know that you were there to sing? No. They had no idea. Well, I didn't know I was even there to sing. So wow. they didn't know. I mean, literally, it was me walking in the studio. My cousin didn't even know I was coming. He didn't know. He had no idea. Um, I walked in the studio. He was producing the song. He was like, hey, you know, cousin, how you doing? He gave me a hug. He was like, oh, yo, my cousin sings. You, you know, won't you, you want to get on this? And I was like, all right. And I just heard the song. And like I said, I learned it really quickly. And then I started singing on it and they loved it. And the rest was like, okay. And then we moved on to a Sunday afternoon. But see, even how that even happened with the Sunday afternoon, they had released Aladdin Active and it was getting a lot of airplay. And from what I understand from the label, they called me in privately with Cliff Ritchie, which was Quality Records. They called me into the record company and they said, listen, we love your voice. Radio loves your voice. We want to know if you'll get on the second single for A Lighter Shade of Brown. And I said, okay, no problem. Yeah. Um, I went back in the studio again. We were just sitting there, all of us were sitting around the couch and the table just writing. Robert was writing his lyrics, Bobby was writing his lyrics. I was getting in tune with the um, melody for the hook and all that kind of stuff. So we were collabing. All of us were just trying to figure out what we were going to do on the song. And then they laid their parts down. And then I just remember um, writing the lyrics and coming up with the melody Hello. <laughs> and then um, went in the studio, re-recorded it, and they loved it. Um, we had a lot of people collabing on the song, trying to make sure that it came together with other writers as well. And they loved it. They put it out, and it was all she wrote. It just took off. Now, uh, let me, let me before we touch on Sunday afternoon, let's go back to Latin actor just a bit. Okay. Do you remember how many times you sang the chorus on there? As far as what, like recording it in the studio or show? -wise? No, because, okay, today uh, most people will sing the chorus one time mm -hmm. and then they'll just kind of just bounce it, you know, uh, uh, and they'll, they'll place it wherever they want. I, I know mm -hmm. back then you had to sing it differently. Well, I don't want to say differently, but almost the same every hook, like. Yeah, the hook was basically the same, but what I did was, in, in case people don't know, what I did at the end of each hook, I would do a different run at the end okay. after each rapper. 
So I would do something different. So the the beginning, I would sing it plain. Rob, Bobby would rap. And then I would sing the hook again. I'd do a little different riff to go out of that hook. And then it would lead Robert in, which is ODM. Then I'd do a different riff, which Teardrop would come in. Every time there was a verse, I would do a different riff. Dope, dope. So, now, uh, uh, Latin Active, uh, were you there when uh, the female uh, teardrop dropped her vocals? No. Okay. No. And uh, did, did you and Rikachi ever do any shows together? Yes, yes, yes. We toured for a while. Well, actually, when Latin Active came out, they toured. Okay. And that's when it started making the buzz and all of that kind of stuff. It wasn't until on a Sunday afternoon after that hit and blew up, I started touring with them and I toured with them for about eight years. Wow. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. And it was awesome. We were <laughs> young kids. We were traveling everywhere. I was like the big sister. When I tell you I have some stories about a lot of shade around it. <laughs> Can you and give the us stuff one? I experienced. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was just <sighs> There's, there were just times where we would be on the tour bus or we would get to a city and we were on our way to a venue and we would literally see girls walking the street. At that time, Bobby and Robert were really young. Any girl that they would see, they would always holler out. Sometimes we would have to pull them back in the window from hollering at girls on the bus stop and all that stuff. It was always girls, girls, girls always around always. us so it was just uh, it was just a lot going on back then i didn't drink at all i never had a drink until i was 32 years old so i was just a girl that would sit in her room Enjoy. literally order room service watch a movie i was just excited just to watch a movie can you believe it just to go to my room order room service and watch a movie while they were out partying doing after parties and all that stuff they were living the life living wow. it now, when you took that drink at 32, what did it feel like? Uh, <laughs> I threw up <laughs> because it was very nasty. Okay. Very nasty. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, I think I had my first drink. I was late in my teens, like, you know, and uh, uh, of course, I started feeling buzzed, but I didn't know how much a body can take. So I just kept downing, yeah, yeah. downing and downing. And before you know it, you throw up. Yes. You know? So, yes, I understand my experience. that. So, so. <laughs> Now, um, when you're touring with these guys on the first album, was there ever any altercations between them two? Yes, yes, yes. There would be times where there's just like sisters and brothers fight, they would fight sometimes and they were not feeling each other at all. Uh -huh. And they would have drag out dog out fights, like literally not physically, but literally verbally. And they were just not feeling each other. One would be on way over this side. One would be on this side of the stage. Um, I don't know if people could tell, but there were times when they would get, you know, upset. They would just cross each other and not even really look at each other. They would just cross each other. Or there would be times where he would let Bobby do his thing out front and then he would just be in the back kind of just like, you know, with the DJ, you know, into the music or whatever. And then he come out and he do his his part. So, you know, it's just little things. But yeah. yeah, I guess that was my next question. When you guys were performing, were you able to tell the friction between them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of times there would be friction before the show, but we 
we made it a habit, no matter what we were going through, we were going to pray before a show, no matter what. We always prayed before a show. And it didn't matter. I always had the lead in the prayer. And yes. I didn't have a problem with that. We always pray before a show. But at the same time, it was, you know, it was real when they weren't feeling each other or one was just on it or Bobby was just off somewhere in his mind, somewhere else. They just would not. The chemistry would not be there, but when the music hit, they would just give the audience what they were looking for. Yeah. They never slighted them at all when it came to performance at all. Yeah, you know, uh, I was sharing with you uh, before the show how when me and High C first went to Mesa, Arizona, our very first show was mm -hmm. with Lotta Shitter Brown, uh, and then that's where I had first met Teardrop, and and I, I told you that I had a. Uh, uh, a video of all them performing and everything yeah. like that. You know, those were good times. I actually still have pictures uh, of, of those show, so shows as well. But um, Bobby was always real cool. He was always outgoing. He was always drinking, always yeah. partying. Yeah. You know, Robert was a little bit different. He was a little bit more distant. Mm -hmm. But Bobby was the one of every time he would see us, uh, hug us, he want to party, let's go to the bar, let's go to the club, or just whatever, mm -hmm. you know. But we did a lot of shows uh, with them when they were doing the first Latin Active, and then with you guys, that's when our paths would cross, but yes. we just hardly never really ever talked, yes, you know. And then I remember, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but you had. A, a solo album coming out. Yes. Did, did that album ever come out? No. Okay. But the, they did release some of the videos. Um, I did have, actually, I had two record deals. I had one on Scotty Brothers and they went bankrupt. I did a whole album, which is still out there on YouTube, which is dope, which is the R&B album. But then I then hooked up with Soul Shock and Carden who did Love Me Some Him with Tony Braxton and worked with TLC and they were heavy hitters. And then I signed um, with Virgin Records. Virgin Records, we did a whole album. They spent a half a million dollars on it. We did a video and um, one of my songs was featuring MC Light, which is called I Like, and then also Lord Tariq. So I've done the videos with MC Light and Lord Tariq, so you can still find those videos on YouTube. Wow. If you just put in Shiro, you can see those videos. But the album never was released. And I still get people that hit me up in my inbox or DM me and say, I love, I would love to hear that album. I heard it was out. I see the video from MC Light and Lord Tariq. Where can I get your music? Right. Why did they never release it? So... They're interested. They want to know. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, sad to say is that uh, uh, you're one of these artists that um, it almost seemed to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like you got shelved. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you had such great product out there that people could have known that you went past or uh, went further than just lighter shade of brown. Mm -hmm. But since they never got released, like you said, they went bankrupt or yeah. maybe some stuff came out, not all of it. So all people know you by is lighter shade of brown, but it's much more before that and much more after that. Yes, it is. So, so I'm sorry, you were going to say? But there are a lot of people that just don't know me just for a lighter shade of brown. They do know me for my individual music. Okay. Some people have been following me since then and know some of my singles that are familiar with, especially Can We Talk. And that was off of the first album and the first video um, that I ever did 
in regards to my solo career. So there are some people that are aware of my music that is still available on YouTube and SoundCloud and stuff like that, like I said, which are still following me and um, still support me. But at the same time, um, there's always with any, well, I wouldn't say with any artist, with some artists, we do um, do other things in the industry with other artists, but because songs are pushed a lot more because of the financial backing, those are the ones that are heard the loudest. Okay. But, um, I can honestly say I'm thankful for the allowed the lighter shade of Brown platform. I I wouldn't give it back for the world. My Latino family. I love you. Yeah, yeah. Because you know that you have a huge Latino uh, fan base. Yes. You know, yes. it's like I told you during the break, you're like, uh, if you will, the Mary Wells of yeah. today. You know, that's kind of like the Thank way they you. see you, you know. So and it's honest. almost like they even see you as, and embrace you as if you were a Latina as well. You know, <laughs> you know some people really would ask if I was um, a Latino. Um, when we would go out on tour, a lot of times they didn't know that I was an African American. Right. It was it would not be until I stepped on stage that they would see like, oh my gosh, he's African American, and the looks on their faces, and they would scream to the top of their lungs like, oh my god! And literally, I'm always so humbled, even to this day when I do a concert with the Lighter Shade of Brown or even do their songs. Um, I'm so humbled when we're doing the show and the audience literally is singing the hooks and they're singing my name. And a lot of people, there were some people that said, when they would say, me, Shiro, and the homies, they didn't literally know they were singing my name. Some of them didn't, but then some of them did. So when I see them singing my name and they're pointing at me and they know it's me, that is such wow. an awesome feeling. Yes, it's yes. I'm so it's like an attitude. I have an attitude of gratitude. I'm so thankful. That's dope. That's dope. You know, because uh, um, it's funny because when high when I started doing mixtapes with High C. Mm-hmm. He would goof off many times and say words in Spanish, okay? uh. mostly curse curse words, okay? Because those are the easy ones to remember. <laughs> and he, we did a song called Jack Move uh, that never came out on the album but came out on the single. People that were fans of the mixtapes right away couldn't wait for the, the vinyl to, to come out. Wow. So when the 12-inch came out, he would say words in Spanish. Mm. So the people who had never seen them yet, yeah. When we started doing shows, they would always ask them, are you Mexican? And I'm thinking to myself, like, can't you tell? (laughs) But it was weird because when I interviewed him here, episode three, uh, um, I said, let's clear it up. Are you Mexican? (laughs) You know, and he was like, well, Tony, I don't know. People need to ask me, (laughs) you know, but for some reason, even to this day, people still ask, is he Mexican? Because he said a couple of Spanish words, but he himself has a huge... uh, uh, Latino fan base as well. Yeah. You know, I just wish, this is just me speaking for him, he would embrace that a little bit more because there's money there. 
Okay. Yeah, but n not even just the money. To me, the thing that I've learned with the Latino fan base is that they are loyal and they love you. When they say they are with you and they love you, they love you. Yes. And that is it. They're not turning away from that, you know? And the more you let them know that you are in with them, they are in with you. Yes. You know, and growing up, I had a best friend. Her name was Maria. Don't say it's typical. Um, <laughs> it really was her name, okay? And she taught me some things, but they were only cuss words, you know, in Spanish. But so I'm not going to say them. Right, right. But, you know, I have best friends that were Latino. I have no issue with anybody's nationality. As long as you respect me, I respect you. You show me love. I show you love. I don't have an issue with where you come from at all. That's not, it's, um, I'm not here to judge. I, I don't have the power to judge, even though sometimes we want to do that. No, but as far as the Latino fan base, I tell you, when it comes to them showing up and showing out for me, I can honestly say they have. They yes. literally have. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I've, I've had Rodney O here, okay? <laughs> now, I'm quoting him. I'm quoting him. Okay. <laughs> he says, oh, man, he said, I love my Latino fan base. I love them. He said, because one thing about them is that they're very loyal yeah. and, and, and they'll come and they'll support you yep. and they'll hear your song like if it's still new. My music yeah. like doesn't get old to them. Yeah. He said, when I perform in front of some, uh, uh, my black people, mm. he said, they're like, oh, that old nigga. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he goes. It, I, I'm telling the truth, Tony A. That's just the way it is. So I love my Latino fan base. And I said, well, that's cool, man. That's cool. You know what? Well, we love your music too. You know, and that's why yeah. I had asked him, will we ever see him and Joe again? You guys want to know his answer? <laughs> Go back to Rody Radio, look up Rodney O to get his answer. But <laughs> so now, uh, now during that time, did you have Cliff Ritchie as your manager or did you have a different manager? No, I didn't have Cliff Ritchie as my manager. I had a different manager, totally separate from a lighter shade of brown. Okay. Um, a lot of people did not know that even though I toured with the lighter shade of brown, our situations were different. I was never a part of the lighter shade of brown group, though there were times where we did concerts and um, there were R&B concerts we were on because I was African-American. So I was the R&B side of a lighter shade of brown. So okay. that's how we were able to be put on some of those concerts. Um, we were separate in some ways. Like if people really pay attention to even the on the Sunday afternoon video, I'm totally separated from a lighter shade of brown. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that. And that was purposely done. That was purposely done. Because from what I was told initially is that they didn't want it to appear to be where people would assume that I was in the group with a lighter shade of brown. They okay. wanted to definitely um, make it clear that Bobby and Robert were a lighter shade of brown and I was Shiro, which was separate from the group. Like a feature almost? Yeah, okay. yeah. But, you know, what was a blessing for me is that people were requesting me and people wanted to see me and people were interested in knowing, knowing who Shiro was and knowing what this girl could bring to the table. And that's why I was blessed to be in the videos 
I was blessed to be in Latin active too. And if you pay attention to Latin active, again, I'm alone in Latin active. When I get out of that low rider, I'm getting out of the low rider by myself. Yeah. When they're in the club doing Latin active, you don't see me on the stage anywhere. I am literally outside with the Latinos partying with them. So if you pay attention to that, we've always been separate. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, so that record drops. Is your manager at that time, because you had mentioned you had a... Uh, two record deals. Is he shopping your stuff at this time? Is he, are you working on your own stuff uh, during, while you're touring with them at all? Well, what ended up happening, um, if we back up just a little bit, because when I started singing with A Lighter Shade of Brown, we put out Latin Active, looks at we, yep, because I sung the hooks, okay? So, and then we did on a Sunday afternoon, and then right after Sunday afternoon, I was sought out for a record deal. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. And then I did the Can We Talk album okay. with Scotty Brothers. Okay. And then they went bankrupt. Even though we recorded the whole album, did the video, everything, the video and everything is still on YouTube, available, everything. And then after leaving and touring for a while with the Lighter Shade of Brown and all of that kind of stuff, I then met up with Soul Shock and Carlin again, and I didn't have a manager. I was actually doing um, music with Soul Shock and Carlin. And how I ended up getting that deal is I did a demo for an artist that they were about to um, give the song to. Hmm. Virgin Records within, was in the studio. They heard my voice on the song and said, no, we want her. We want her. And then they walked me into Virgin Records and they signed me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So it was it was different. No, I'm not I'm not asking you for a number, but was that number did that number that they offered you, did it make you happy? Yes. <laughs> I because they spent a half a million dollars on the record deal. They literally took care of me. I have truly been blessed in the industry to have people around me to where at least while making my music, I was well taken care of. With the album that I did called Can We Talk, the first album leading from the on the Sunday afternoon, I was paid very nice monthly to make sure that that's all I did. But I was, I insisted on it because okay. I felt like if you're signing me to a label and if music is what you want me to do, that's my job. I shouldn't have to work a nine to five. I shouldn't have to clock in someplace else and you want me to deliver for you. Because at that time I was writing, I was producing vocals, I was doing all of that stuff. So for me, I felt like with the label, they had to pay me enough to where my total focus would be on my music and what I believe that I'm created to do. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. Uh, and I love your, your attitude and your energy about that. Um, now, at that time, did uh, you play any instruments at all or were you just writing? No, just writing, okay. writing. I always had a good ear. And like I said, when I was younger um, in that girl group that I was with for real, David Martin really had a keen sense of harmony and all of that. He groomed all of that in us. He gave us stamina. We learned stage presence from touring and doing so many shows. So a lot of my grooming came from that group at a young age. And then what I ended up finding out as, as we were progressing in the group, that's when I realized, oh, I can also write. 
I also can produce vocals. So I started really um, mastering that in working with the lighter shade of brown. And then after that, working on my own music, I was given the tools and the power to be very creative in my own album. Now, when you were signed with Virgin, uh, Mm -hmm. um, were you able to uh, choose your own producers or were they pretty much? No. Okay. No. At that point, it was just Soul, Shock, and Carlin. Um, They were the main producers. They were it. Um, What I could do, of course, is still give my opinion and tell them what I didn't um, like and what I did want to stand for and what I didn't want to stand for. And there were times, you know, that's how I'm I'm telling you guys, when you see artists that are in the music business that have these chains that are diamonds and all this stuff and they've just come out, some of that stuff I know back in the day was not real. And the reason why I say that, and I'm not saying as far as the diamonds, but they weren't paid just quite yet. And the reason why I say that is because when I was signed to Virgin Records, they wanted me to be an artist that wore the diamonds wrapped around my neck and the gold chains and all that. I hadn't even sold enough to be able to wear the diamonds around my neck, but because they wanted that to be my image, because that was what the day's music was, they were willing to make those chains with that said Shiro and give me the diamonds to have me look a certain way to create sales. But that wasn't who I was. So I told them, no, I didn't go with it at all. No. And how did that sit with how did that sit with them? They didn't like it, but what can they do? Right. <laughs> you know, because it's either you're gonna stand for something or you'll stand for anything. Right. If you don't stand for something, you'll stand for whatever well, they try to tell you to do. Today people aren't standing for anything. My opinion, from what I see in this new era of rap game, you know, uh just smoking weed, drinking Hennessy, changing girls' booties clapping in videos. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, something interesting, your name, Shiro, is that your real name? Yes, it is. My really? daddy knew what he was doing. <laughs> I am named after my grandmother. She is Japanese and black, and I am mixed with the little Japanese. So um, my name means White Castle, White Flower. And oh. it is my original name, no made-up artist name. I am Shiro. Uh, being, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Japanese or, mm-hmm. I guess, a uh, Part of you is Japanese. Yeah. You like sushi? I do. Really? But only the California roll. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can't get deep into it. I don't like the raw fish and all that kind of stuff, but I do like sushi. I I will go to a sushi bar, sit up and just, you know, I love and not sushi, just bar with the drinks. I'm saying when you go to the sushi bar, you sit there and you're able to see them make your food and it's a great atmosphere. That's why they call it the sushi bar. Dope. I love it. I love it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and go to another break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, how you heard uh, Bobby's passing. Okay. We're going to touch on that. And we're going to let the public know uh, where they can reach you, uh, where they can hear your music, what do you have out, you know, more good stuff about you. So You got it. um, You guys, once again, I encourage you, the Rodeo Mixtape Documentary. 
Uh, go to DocuMixture.com. You will not be disappointed. Once again, I will put it up against any West Coast documentary out there. I'm not saying that it's better, but I am saying that it's different and you will not be disappointed. Once again, all Rodeo Mixtape Apparel is uh, uh, free shipping for the rest of this month. So uh, go ahead and, uh, matter of fact, buy me out Christmas. Buy your friend's uh, Rodeo Mixtape uh, Apparel shirt. Okay, uh, once again, we'll be back after this 10 minute break and uh, call a friend, text a friend and let them know that we're going to be talking about Bobby of Ladder Shader Brown. Rest in peace. All right, Johnny Boy. Welcome back, everybody, to Rhodium Radio, episode 19 with Shiro. Once again, I said earlier that I wish I could have interviewed her on a Sunday afternoon, but I will settle for a Sunday evening once again with Shiro. Yeah. Thank you for being here. <laughs> you know, earlier you sang that hook, and fuck, that was dope, man. That was dope. We were chilling in the park, just waiting for the sun to go down. It was me, Shiro, and the homies, a lighter shade of brown. Everybody, <laughs> round of applause, please. Everyone. Thank you. No auto tone. No auto tone. Yeah. Okay? No auto tone. Yes. <laughs> that was so awesome. Um, you're actually the first person on here who's ever actually ever done something like that. Oh, see? First for everything. You know what I'm saying? And Gotta popped. Be a first. And that popped. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that was dope. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, before the commercial, I had asked you about uh, Bobby and. Uh, so, now on a serious note, mm -hmm. when did you first hear, or where were you when you first heard of Bobby's passing away? I was actually at uh, my family's house, which is one of my cousins, and I got a call from ODM, Robert okay. of Elida Shaded Brown. And. He called me and he said, um, it's not looking too good. Um, Bobby is in the hospital and um, he's been in here actually for over a week. They didn't know who he was. He was classified as a John Doe because he did not have his ID or anything on him. No one knew who he was, but fortunately, um, what ended up happening was one of the nurses felt like there was something special about him. It was something different about him. He had a cell phone on him, but there was no battery charge. So what they did was the nurse had said to herself, you know what? Mm, I think we need to charge his phone and see if we can get in contact with some of his family members because there's just something about him that just seems different. So they charged his phone. The first person they called was his mother because that was one of the calls. That was one of the last calls he had made. And he was in Vegas. He was actually on vacation with his, that at that time, girlfriend and her daughter. And they had ended up getting into it for some reason. Mm. And um, he was on the strip, from what I understand. And they got into it. And he ended up going to get some alcohol and was trying to shake it off or whatever. But he ended up over drinking. And we had had you know, episodes like that with him before where he would over drink and kind of pass out. Well, he ended up passing out on the sidewalk in Vegas. And... Um, what ended up happening was, you know how hot it is in Vegas. 
the heat actually um, gave him heat stroke and kind of boiled his brain pretty much. And um, they picked him up on the sidewalk. Um, someone called and said, hey, there's a guy that's on the side of this building. He's passed out. They picked him up, took him to the hospital, and that's where the nurse comes in and, you know, the whole story about her saying he has a phone on him, let's charge the phone. They called his mother, the mother got the call, and then they called the brothers, and then they called ODM, and then ODM calls me. And then um, one of our dearest friends, Tanya Estrada, flew me out to Vegas, and I was able to see Bobby um, and he was uh, in a coma and uh, it was a sight to see his they said um, the first couple of days his face was swollen and everything so I didn't get to see that part but I did get to see of course some of the effects of what the sun had did to his skin and you know his head is was, was a little bit swollen was not as swollen as they said it was prior to me seeing him um, but he was just staying in the bed and then, um, you know, I was speaking to him, we prayed and then we all kind of waited around and then we said our goodbyes pretty much. Then we announced it to the media. Okay. Before that, uh, was he living in Vegas at the time? No. So he was just out there visiting? Or? Yeah, he was just visiting. He was supposedly supposed to be on vacation with his girlfriend and her daughter. Okay. And they went out there and they were just going to be there for a couple of weeks. But again, they got into it and then they ended up parting ways, him and his girlfriend. Okay. So she ended up leaving him in Vegas and taking her daughter and just going wherever she wanted to go. And he had no money, no more money. Um, he calls one of his friends. He, they pick him up and then they give him money and go give get him alcohol. And then he, from what I understand from the friend that picked him up, Bobby said that he wanted to go where Tupac died. And that's where he dropped him off. And he was thinking, oh, it's a joke. It's a joke. Bobby's not serious or whatever. But, I, you know, what are you doing? What are you going to do? That's he was questioning. Him. He was like, man, just take me where Tupac died. Right. So he said he took him there and he just dropped him off on the corner. And then that was all she wrote. Right. right we got the now, we got the, the news. Now, uh, how how true or if you could fill in this blanks, because there's people that were saying and again, this is all social media stuff that supposedly he was out there for a couple of days before they picked him up. As far as uh, you said, he, he had a heat stroke. Yeah. Uh, well, somebody has said that he was out there on the street for three days. Is, is there any truth to that? Um, I have never heard anything about three days. Okay. From what I've heard was it was overnight. Over, okay. Yes, overnight. because you know how in Vegas... People are partying. They let you drink on the streets. Everybody's walking the streets. There are events that are happening. The streets that, you know, at some point are always crowded. So people that are, you know, knocked out on the street, they don't really pay much attention to them because everybody parties on the streets of Vegas. So right. nobody's really paying attention to the fact that someone could really be sick or there could be something really wrong. They're just thinking this person is just drunk. Or whatever but he literally collapsed in in him collapsing knocks knocked him out on the cement so he was knocked out so he couldn't even wake himself up even if he were to sober up because he had already hit his head but mm. no one was really paying attention to that so 
with dealing with that and the heat and then the morning comes, he's still laying out there. And then the sun kind of just boils him because it's hot. Yeah. And then yeah. somebody said, okay, listen, I think we need to call someone because this person is not moving. They're not getting up. They're not. And then that's when they put him in the ambulance and took him to the. Um, so he was in the hospital for how many days was he in the hospital for? From what I understand, it was at least a week, a week or so. And they had just classified him as a John Doe because wow. no one knew who he was. Again, he didn't have an ID. He didn't have any identification on him. The only thing he had was his cell phone and his cell phone was not even charged. They started looking in his clothes, like trying to figure out who is this person? And the cell phone was there the whole week, but they didn't think to charge the phone. And then the nurse then said, why don't we try to charge the phone and see if there's something is right. he has a phone in his belongings. Let's do that. And thank God that she did do that because she was then able to reach his mother. And that brought us all to the understanding of what just occurred with Bobby okay. at that point. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny because I had seen, you know, I've known Bobby for a long time, mm -hmm. but towards, if you will, leading up to that, I had seen pictures of him and he didn't look well. No. You know, he didn't look well. Was he... Uh, going through health issues at all? He was. He struggled with a lot of, um, well, he was an alcoholic. You know, he would tell you himself, if he were here today, he would tell you himself. He struggled a lot with alcoholism. Um, Bobby and I were really, really, really close. That was my brother. We would have private, a lot of private conversations. He valued my opinion. He would ask me about certain things. What did, what did he think he should do? A lot of phone calls. I did receive a lot of phone calls when he was intoxicated and couldn't do a show. There were times where he would be out of town and he would be so intoxicated. He would call me and he would say, what do you think I should do? Okay, I can't make it. I can't go to the show. And I would literally have to tell him, stay in the room and sleep it off. Don't go to the show. Don't leave the room. Sleep it off. And I'll call and check on you in a, in a few hours or so. And I've had to do that. There has been times where he's literally collapsed for two days at a time and, you know, just over drinking himself like yeah. pints and pints of vodka, you know, wow. and he was just really struggling with that. There are times when we prayed on the phone and he would cry to me and say, the demons are chasing me. The demons are chasing me. I don't know. I just know that the, I just I don't know. And, and I would literally have to pray with him and you know, talk him through it, you know, and it was, it was hard. So I was really, um, affected by what happened, not just about his death, but I kind of felt like, why didn't he call me that last time? You know, I kind of felt like I didn't get my chance to talk to my brother again. And, and maybe there is something that I could have done to help him or talk him down again, or give him some advice at that point. So, I kind of felt a little slighted, like, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you call me? Right, you know? Right. Well, you know, I, I'm glad that uh, we talked about it. I thought it was important because there's fans out there that never got closure yeah. on what happened to him, you know, and uh, it's tragic. And um, just like you, I wish he was still here. Yeah. But he's not. But I will say, may he rest in peace. Yes. So. Yes. Rest in peace. You know, so now um, you today have new music out, if I'm correct. I do. 
You know okay. I'm not going to give up this music business. You know I'm not going to give it up. <laughs> anyway, yes, I do. I have a single um, that I just released on um, Level G Presents. Um, and it is called Let's Get It. And it is dope, dope, dope. Gio, who has um, wrote for Chris Brown and a lot of uh, Danny Lee. He wrote for Danny Lee, who is now one of the top artists in the industry right now. And Yanni, who is the producer of the track, who also produced for Chris Brown, Missy Elliott. Um, he wrote Trey songs, uh, Make You Say Ah. So he's a platinum um, producer. He produced the track. The writer is my genius husband, G, over here. Um, you know, he, he wrote the lyrics and, uh, the arrangement and, and everything. He's a dope, dope writer. And the video that we shot, your boy, DJ Quick is in it with high C. <laughs> so they came through and showed some love. Mello showed, he came through and showed some love. And we got a call from Battle Cats saying, best of luck. We love you. You know, we, we, we encourage you. We know this is it. You know, keep doing what you're doing. So we've had a lot of support of people um, calling in and really loving the video. It is actually released on YouTube right now. Right now we're at, um, I'd say about 25,700 views. So it's doing quite well. Well, I was one of them because I saw it last night. Yes, you did? Was, I thought it was awesome. All right. See, I, I saw that cameo out. that Quick <laughs> had smiling at the camera. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw that. That was dope. Yes. Uh, uh, um, it was very well put together, you know. Thank you. And it's, I have to say that it's very well put together because today's videos are mostly shot on, you know, guys that think they have a cell phone and they go home and edit it and they release <laughs> it on YouTube think that's a video. It's not. Yours is a great video. Thank I enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Uh, and I listened to the lyrics. You know what's weird? Since I'm a beat guy, I never listen to lyrics. I listen to melodies. Mm. You know, when people rap or people sing. Yeah. Like if I listen to a Bone Thug song, uh -huh. I listen to the beat, and then all I hear is that's all I hear. Then I go back. If I like it, I'll listen to the lyrics. <laughs> but I listen to your lyrics. Thank you. And, and I got it. Thank you. Like, Thank you. I, so I encourage everyone to go listen to the lyrics. Yes. And you'll understand it, which is your message. Yes, you absolutely. And we wanted to do something different and raw. Um, there are things that also people don't know about me in regards to, you know, what we discussed growing up and everything. Um, as far as my growing up, um, this video depicts a part in my life where I was struggling at a point in my life. And... I had moved to Vegas. I was, um, I just uh, left a relationship that was not good at all. And I went to go stay with whom I thought was a close family member. And he literally knew I was broken. My heart was broken. I was just going through a hard time, just like really struggling. And I'm not yeah. normally easily influenced um, uh -huh. by anything. But at that point, I was so broken. And I didn't know what to do. And because I trusted this person, he had convinced me. He had said, you know, since you can't get work here and you're trying to find, you know, some way to, you know, pay for your living, why don't you strip? And I was like, what? 
He was like, yeah, it's just a form of entertainment. You go in, you strip, it's just a form of entertainment. It's the same thing you entertain for people all the time. And because I was in such a dark place at that point in time, I literally went to Spearman Rhino in Las Vegas. And I stripped for two days. (laughs) My name was Cinnamon. Okay, cinnamon. Don't take my name. Don't try to take. No, I'm just kidding. But literally, I stripped for two days. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't know that. Listen, I can tell you that experience was horrible. The first day I went in, I was so nervous. I was so afraid. And I kind of stayed a lot in the back because I was like, I don't know. I don't, this isn't really me. I don't know how to do this kind of thing. I know I know how to dance. You know, I think I'm pretty attractive. Okay, okay. But um, I don't know. First day I was really scared. I didn't really do anything. Second day I tried to go back and I was like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out. I have to make money if I'm going to do this. I'm psyching myself up and all of a sudden, minus the drinking, no drugs, no nothing like that. But literally trying to psych myself up to do this. So I go out and... This guy literally asked me for a lap dance. He was like, I'll give you 600 bucks. Just give me a lap dance. You're so beautiful. 600, period. I was like, okay. I do the lap dance. After the lap dance, that was it. That was all she wrote. I left stripping. I never looked back. What I did was I took that $1,600. I knew a friend of mine that was living in Vegas that had a daughter and she was struggling. I took that money and gave it to her. And I never stripped again, never thought about stripping again. And it's nothing against strippers at all. I'm not judging them at all, but this is something that I did. It isn't for me at all. It isn't something that I'm called to do or supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) But this in the video of Let's Get It, it's shot in a strip club because I was the girl that was up there even at a time on the pole, and I wish someone would have put their hand out for me and said, this is not the place for you. Let's go. And that's the video is really depicting that point in my life where I was literally in a strip club and wow. I needed that help. Well, I'm glad you shared that because now I'm going to go back and look at it again. Yes, you have to look at this. It's really real. That's, it's real. That's dope because I, I was listening to the lyrics and you know what? Uh, I think they're powerful lyrics. If people Thank literally you. listen to lyrics, uh, uh, yeah, I think you would be blessed listening to these lyrics. Honestly. Yeah, you will. You will be. You will be. Yeah, that's dope. You know, it's funny you mentioned Battle Cat. He was here too. Another great, great producer. Yes. You know. Uh, uh, so now uh, that single's out. Now, where can people uh, buy it, purchase it if they want to download it? Or yes, on all the it's streaming everywhere. SoundCloud, Cloud, Apple. Okay. Um, so you can just go look it up. Let's get it, Shiro. Let's get it, and you should be able to find it and download it. Okay. Uh, um, now, it, uh, I know earlier we had talked about artists that you had worked with. Yeah. Uh, some of them, some of the songs that you did with some of these artists possibly never came out. Mm-hmm. Can, can you shed a little bit of light on some of the artists that you work with? Yes, I've worked with Tupac. I've worked with Brandy as a favor to Kipper Jones and her 
um, mom. Wow. I went out and did backgrounds for her on her tour for six months when she first came out with her album. With Brandy. Um, yeah, Brandy as a support. I've also um, worked with, I don't know if you guys know, because this is way back, Tracy Spencer. Yes. I've also worked um, and did some vocals, little, little slight vocals with TLC. I've met Babyface and um, L.A. Reid and all of them. <laughs> um, but I went out there that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story because they were putting together TLC and they were calling me out there to see if I would be a group member for the group TLC. They found Chili. Perfect match. Perfect match. They felt like I would be best solo. So here we are. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. So I've worked with... Um, Dr. Dre, as we mentioned earlier, I've worked with DJ Quick. I've worked with High C. Oh my gosh. I've worked with some popular jazz artists, MC Light. Like I said, Lord Tariq. Oh, I've worked with Candyman. Oh. A lot of people didn't know that. I did a song with him, never got released. Really? So I've been, yeah, I've been in the game for a while and I've really touched some people that really have significant voices in this industry. Well, I know it almost seems like many of your songs that were supposed to come out somehow got derailed and never did. Yeah. So, uh, but I hope that. Uh, this time around, as far as with your new music coming out or with your new single, that you really, really get that that shine. That, I do too. You know that that you. I feel that you deserve because I feel you put Thank in your you. work, and that's one thing that I hope that this new generation understands. That uh, I know artists that just off of YouTube or Instagram blew up. Yeah. And I know them personally, so I can say this: they never paid any dues. Yeah. They never paid any dues. I can say that too. You know, and, <laughs> and, and it has nothing to do with bitter feelings, but it has to do with appreciation because many of these guys, I've called them to interview them because I know them mm -hmm. and they flat out told me no. Wow. You know, and I get it, you know, but when you were at my house eating a cup of noodles and I was letting yeah. you borrow money, yeah. you know, you didn't tell me no back then. Yeah. You know, so all good though. Uh, yeah. so, so now, is there any producers out there that you would like to work with? Like, man, uh, I would love a track from this guy right here. Anybody like that? Yes, Tony A. <laughs> you know this is a hit producer right here. You guys know this. Let me tell you something. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you for paving the way of hip hop and rap and music and all of that. Thank you so much for your contribution to our world of music. Because if it were not you taking your boldness and the talents that you have to make music, where would some of it be? You know, it takes a collective team of people who really believe in what they do in order for us to be heard and to really be bold about it and not fear what other people are gonna say, but believe in what we're delivering to people, knowing that it's gonna go somewhere. And if you like it first, they'll love it because you have to be the first one to like what you do first before anybody else can grab hold of it or grasp what it is that you're trying to get across in your music. So first of all, I wanna say thank you for giving me this platform on Rodeo Radio. <laughs> I want to thank you because a lot of times our voices cannot be heard, you know, it, but it takes things like this 
people like you that bring us back from that generation to allow our voices to be heard again because without you how can people be able to know that we're still out here getting busy still out here doing music still doing what we love to do so i just thank you thank you thank you um you know the bottom line is i think through anything no matter how popular you become the key to all of this and longevity once you're even out of the limelight is to continue to know from whom your blessings flow because he had to give you that talent for you to be able to do what you do so to be thankful and to stay humble at all times it isn't through your power it's through somebody else's power so if we would just stay humble and be thankful for the opportunities that come our way then when it's all said and done we still would be able to um, have the positive feedback because they can feel our energy just being positive and we're open to receive criticism check ourselves when we need to be checked and be able to say thank you to those that have helped pave the way period thank you thank you <laughs> you're welcome i'm blessed i'm humbled honestly <laughs> honestly I, I love your preaching and uh, let me let me say this shiro's a real one everybody shiro's a real one honestly uh, uh a diamond right here and People like yourself are very, very rare. Oh. Honestly, very rare in an all era of fakeness. You stay real. And that's a blessing right there. But uh, uh, first of all, um, I want to say thank you for being here and for giving me the opportunity to, you know, to interview you, talk to you and uh, um, and to get these insight stories that people want to hear from you uh, that there was before. Lighter Shirt Brown, you had a, uh, uh, if you if you will, a musical background and even after. And and even now, uh, I still believe the best is yet to come. Thank and, you. And I, I wish you, uh, you know, the best. Thank you know. You. Now, uh, where can people see you perform? Are you going to be doing any any kind of shows with this new stuff? Yes, we've been prepping for shows. I just actually finished doing a, a show at uh, the study. We just finished doing a, a show there. Um, but what I want people to also understand and get, just because it's message music, um, it's really called Go Up Music. And it's a brand of music that formed out of doing the song that is out now, which is Let's Get It. And the, it's called Go Up, which is gospel optional urban praise music. And the reason why optional is in there is because, you know, back in the day we had the gospel hymns and stuff like that, which is still great because I grew up off of that. But we also wanted to give the youth some music to be able to rock to music that can be able to be played in clubs at the same time and you can party to it but also get a message out of it at the same time going forward and it's dope you guys will not believe it's not your churchy preachy it really is trap music mixed with all kind of like r&b <laughs> rap music it's so dope it's so different so you guys need to go check that out check it check it check it check it out um and what was your question <laughs> you, remind, you remind me of me there i always forget uh the question was uh do, do you have are you going to be performing anywhere soon if not on your own possibly with robert or where can people see you anything coming up anytime soon well we're working on um putting together some shows now and booking some shows okay. but i want people to know that's what i was getting to she brought me back to my thought that 
it's not just because it's inspirational music or whatever that we're just going to be in churches no we're going to go to arenas we're going to perform in clubs so club producers and promoters call us because we are going to do it i'm telling you if cardi's manager called me today and said could you open up for cardi b you know i'm going so all i'm saying is don't limit me don't put me in a box because where i'm going i'm going where all everybody's going to the arenas to the clubs to every place so, so. at this time you want to give any shout outs to anybody Yes. And closing. Shout out to my family in Texas, Mesquite and San, San Antonio, Texas, um, to Level G Presents. That's my management company and where they can be reached if you know you want me to hook you up with a show because you know I'm bomb live. You know I'm bomb <laughs> live. Call 424-205-2611 and speak to G. And then also giving a shout out to all those that are out there that are doing their music. Don't give up. Continue to go after your dream no matter how hard it is. Don't give up there could be one person that can hear whatever it is that you're doing and believe in whatever you're doing that can take you over the top so don't when people say no that one no does not trump those five yeses that you will get so be encouraged be encouraged awesome so now my shout outs uh first of all first and foremost let me give a shout out to my boy john elkins he likes to be called john motherfucking elkins uh, much <laughs> love and much respect to him because without him this would not be possible as far as yeah. the way he runs everything the man behind the scenes and then my boy daniel jones bg media clips uh, uh, uh for he actually him and john actually filmed this uh roadie mixtape documentary uh boomer uh from the Remedy Yard, Boomer did it, Roger Mera, Roger Live, uh, Kerry Fujita, South Bay Drones, uh, my boy, uh, my son, Be Scandalous. And uh, I have to make a special announcement that we will not be here on Wednesday because Wednesday is Christmas, okay? Wednesday is Christmas, so uh, we were not going to have a show, but we will be back Sunday with a very special guest. If you guys like Chicano rap, uh, this is a long-awaited, anticipated interview that i will have on sunday of next sunday so once again wednesday we we are not going to have a show but i will post on my ig and uh on my youtube and on my facebook who will be here sunday on thursday nice. so thursday be looking out for that so uh once again i want to wish everybody a merry christmas uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, a lot of people get offended when we say Merry Christmas. I don't care. I don't do the happy holiday stuff. I say Merry Christmas. Okay. And if you get offended, honestly, oh, well, you didn't have a problem <laughs> telling me Happy Halloween. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? Merry Christmas because we know that Christ is the reason for the season. Yes. So, is. enjoy Christmas. Um, God bless your family. We'll see you guys here on Sunday. Uh, Tony A, Rodian Radio, Shy Rose, the real one, and we're out. That's it. Woo -woo! I'm about to get this to Tony A. I'm about to get this to Tony A. You know what I'm saying? That's how we do it. That's how we do it. <laughs>